So, happy Christmas, everyone. So wonderful to <coughs> be joined together in the love of God and the Spirit of Christ. Our reading this morning, What Was the Star of Bethlehem? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. Divine vision is the opposite of worldly sight. Divine vision sees God's presence behind all outward appearances. Worldly sight sees appearances merely coating even the blazing wisdom of a saint. A master to the worldly man is a human being with perhaps a slightly better attitude than the norm. The scriptures, therefore, strive to demonstrate how the divine consciousness, when openly active among men in the lives of great masters, must never be viewed as an expression of ordinary human consciousness. To seek the presence of divinity behind the life of a great master is to prepare oneself to recognize that same divinity also in lower manifestations until at last one beholds God everywhere. Thus it was that Paramahansa Yogananda, on observing his new disciple, Swami Kriyananda, struggling with the contrast between the guru's human appearance and his inner divine reality, looked at him deeply one day and said, If you only knew my consciousness. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ contains an account in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 2, of the star of Bethlehem. The wise men who sought Jesus in his manger said, We have seen his star in the east, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. This account was important, for it showed all mankind that Jesus was a divine incarnation and no ordinary man, that he brought divine consciousness to earth, even though he would play a human role among human beings, and that others too, by receiving him in their inner hearts, would acquire power, as the Holy Bible puts it, to become the sons of God. The scriptures enjoin us to meditate on the lives of great souls, that we may discover our own latent spiritual greatness. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the fourth chapter, who knows the truth touching my births on earth and my divine work, when he quits the flesh, puts on the lo its load no more, falls no more down to earthly earth. To me he comes, dear Prince. Thus, through Holy Scripture, 
God has spoken to mankind. Whispers from Eternity, this beautiful demand for the opening of the spiritual eye to find God in everything. My eyes are enthralled, O Father, with the beauty of earthly flowers, with life's passing scenes, and with the sailing silent clouds. Everywhere, all I see hints at thy presence. Open the eye in me which sees only thee. With that gaze, may I behold the above, beneath, all around, within, and outside of me. Teach me in all things to see only Thee. Open in me that eye which beholds everywhere Thy hidden but ever subtly reigning wonder. Now there's a parenthetical addition to this. This demand especially should be repeated mentally with deep concentration until the prayer thought becomes fixed in in your superconsciousness by the conviction born of deep faith. Wouldn't be a bad idea to get whispers, find that prayer, write it down, and repeat it mentally with deep faith until it becomes a part of you. So... Christmas and the Christmas mystery is one of the great profound mysteries of of creation, of life. Because all of these great masters play a dual role. On the one hand, they are in fact someone that we can see, that we can talk with or read their writings, that we can relate to that we can look and say, oh, he was five feet six inches high and weighed 185 pounds. That's who he is. He was Bengali. I'm talking now about Master. He was Bengali, and he came here in 1920, and we can go through all of that kind of a exercise. But that's not who these great souls are. These great souls are the Christ consciousness or the Krishna consciousness which has become condensed into the form of a human being. Now, what is Christ consciousness? Christ consciousness is the spirit that first of all is beyond creation. So the creator doesn't have to produce a creation. The creation is like a dream at night that we have. We have an existence beyond our dream life. And so the creator has an existence beyond creation. But when he comes into creation, then all of creation contains the essence of his consciousness. Every atom 
has at its very center the essence of the creator or of spiritual consciousness. Every molecule, every cell, every rock, every tree, every animal, every person is made up primarily of spiritual essence and secondarily that spiritual essence has condensed itself into form. Now, most of us see only the form, and that's worldly consciousness. A very, very few see beyond the worldly form and see the essence of spiritual consciousness that is everywhere. Now, that spiritual consciousness everywhere is the Christ consciousness. And all of us come from that Christ consciousness. Not just us. Every atom in creation comes as a condensation from that Christ consciousness. And so everything in creation is made of that. But God puts a kind of a miasma over the created form that makes it think that it is the created form, the form itself, and not the essence of consciousness that has been condensed into that form. And so, in this way, we have the Christ and we have Jesus. And in the Bible, Jesus refers to himself in two different ways. He calls himself the Son of Man, that's Jesus, and he calls himself the Son of God, that's Christ, consciousness that is manifested in the form. And so, all of us play also this dual role, except that only a very, very, very few people on earth at any one time have become enlightened or self-realized. And it's only they, only the enlightened, only the self-realized, that realize what is becoming self-realized, what is enlightenment, it is becoming aware of and having the experience of ourself as the Christ consciousness. That's our reality. But until we have that experience, then we will experience ourself as an ego in form. <coughs> the difference between us and the great saviors is not in essence. It is that they have gone beyond the miasma or the hypnotism that they have an ego or a limitation. They know that they're the Christ consciousness. They know that they're spirit. They know that they are one with everything in creation and that they come from beyond creation. And they come into this world to take on a role to help us understand that that's our reality too. And to a certain extent, this world is a little bit of a penal colony. Not that we're being punished. It's, I guess it's more like a boarding school, not a penal <laughs> colony. It's a, it's a boarding school. And we come into this boarding school. And if your whole life is spent in boarding school, you are born there and you die there, you never realize that there's anything beyond boarding school. And there's a particular lesson plan that each one of us comes in 
to this boarding school in order to learn. And each of us have a, has a certain script, as I say, a lesson plan. And when we come into this world with that lesson plan, we basically know ahead of time what we're going to be learning in this life. But God chooses to hide that lesson plan from us so that we aren't consciously aware, just as Narani was talking about, let's go back to Jesus, his birth, and Mary and Joseph, and think about it for the first time as if we're living through it for the first time, not having done it over and over again. And it takes on a different kind of a feeling, a different kind of a, of a drama. Now, if we knew the end, if we knew in this incarnation the end, if we knew the lesson plan, we knew how the lesson plan was going to play out, and we knew the, the way that we were going to begin and end that lesson plan, what's the fun of that? That's like seeing a movie for the 85th time. <clears throat> What's the fun of that? So God hides that lesson plan from us and lets us go through it as if for the first time. And in, in fact, it is the first time we're going through this particular lesson plan. It's just not the first time we've gone through a lesson plan. This is the lesson plan that comes on the 47th day of third grade. And it follows the 46th day of third grade, which was last life. And the 45th day of third grade, which was the life before. And so, when you go to school over and over and over again, you've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. You've got a pretty good idea of the lesson plan. But God hides from us that sequential process. And so it seems new and fresh and dangerous and exhilarating and all of those things, which is God having fun. For us, yes, it's fun and sometimes not so much. But it's at least exhilarating. So we live this life. But the great ones... They come in, and they come in enlightened. They come in knowing, because they are self-realized, that they are not the body, not the personality, but they are the Christ consciousness or the universal consciousness, Krishna consciousness that has become condensed in that body. And they aren't fooled by having a body. They aren't fooled by the dream. They aren't fooled by the virtual reality that God has created. You can think of virtual reality as a program that creates what looks like reality and you've got these goggles on and these earphones on and you can see and you can feel and you can change the reality and you can hear everything. But then you can take the goggles off and you come to a bigger reality than the virtual reality. How do we take the goggles off when this body and our senses are the goggles? How do we take that off? Well, we have to exit the body. 
We have to exit the senses. And that's the whole purpose of meditation. The whole purpose of meditation is to exit the virtual reality device of this body and get out of it and reawaken to the fact that we aren't this little program. We're everything in existence. And that's why the great ones, that's why Jesus came into this world. That's why all all great saints come into this world and they come here in order to show us our own potential. Not, as Swami has said in a play, not to show us how great they are, but to show us how great we are in essence and what we can become. And the world reacts differently to that. For one thing, those who want to cling to the world are very, very threatened by that. And so you've got Herod who hears of the new king coming in and he is very threatened to the extent that he sends out his soldiers to kill every male child under the age of three. Now that's being threatened by expanded consciousness. But there's a part of us also that is always threatened by expanded consciousness that wants to hold on to the familiar, hold on to the little. And so we have to go through a process of releasing, a process of purification. And that's why we are drawn to these great souls because we have to learn from them. We have to expand. We have to gradually purify and become ready for that great cosmic awareness of who we really are. We're not ready for it yet. And it takes a long time to get ready for it. As Master said, it's like putting 10,000 volts through a wire. Unless that wire is extremely pure, it's going to get burnt up. Unless our consciousness is extremely pure, that influx of true Christ consciousness would burn us up, burn up our nervous system. And so the spiritual path is mostly self-purification. How do we self-purify? By coming to these great souls, by coming to Jesus. Now, just coming to them is not enough. Thousands come to them. The shepherds, they came to Jesus. The angels had to wake them up in order for them to do that. But once they woke up, they went there. They came to Jesus, but they did not come to the Christ. They came to Jesus. All of those thousands of people that he fed with loaves and fishes, that he did miracles, that proclaimed his kingdom coming into Jerusalem, all those thousands of people, they saw Jesus, but they did not see the Christ. The Christ is beyond this world. The Christ is everything or beyond our limited view of this world. And so we can come to these great ones, but even for us, when we come to them, we have the dilemma of seeing them as human beings which doesn't get us very far. It helps because even seeing an uplifted human being helps. It magnetizes our consciousness. 
but that's not enlightenment. That's not self-realization. Nonetheless, how do we get there? We get there with the starting point of coming to the ones who are realized or who are well on the way to being realized. And we offer ourselves to them. We offer to serve them. Service is enormously purifying. If it's done correctly, it will lead us to self-realization. We love them. We love their teachings. We yearn to be like them. That devotion is enormously purifying when it's done. But neither service nor devotion is yet self-realization. It's the preparation for self-realization. So how do we get from that preparation point to the fulfillment of the preparation? Well, there's a very, very specific way that that's done. And that too is portrayed in the drama of the birth of Jesus. There were only, that I know of, five people in the story of the Bible who knew that Jesus was the Christ. Five realized people. They were the three that followed the star. Now that should give us a hint right there. Because if we follow the star, then we find not Jesus, the baby, but we find the Christ that has solidified or condensed into that form of that baby. And so the people following the star, Master tells us, were Babaji, Lahiri, and Sri Yukteswar. (coughs) And they were following the star of intuition. And so we cannot find self-realization through the mind. We have to follow it. We have to find it through intuition, the soul's power of knowing. We cannot find reality through the eyes of duality. We have to find it through the single eye of spirituality or the star. And Swami goes into all kinds of reasons why that star could not have been something physical. Just a couple of them. One, it rose in the east and they followed it. And so if they'd followed the star that rose in the east, they would have been going the wrong direction. That's one pretty good reason. (laughs) Another pretty good reason is, have you ever seen any star that becomes fixed over a single point? As soon as you move, it seems to be fixed over another point. Now, if that star were fixed over the stable so that these three wise men could see a physical star over the stable, do you think that that stable would have been unknown? That Jesus' birth would have been unknown? Everybody in the area would have rushed to that stable to see what in the world is going on here. So anyway, let's dismiss the thought that that's a physical star. It's a spiritual star. And it's the spiritual star that resides in each one of us. And it's that that we must follow. First of all, we have to follow the form of someone who is enlightened because they will help purify us, help give us the right attitudes, the right devotion, the right service, everything that will prepare us for the experience 
of Christ consciousness. But the experience itself comes in a very particular way. There is a doorway between this boarding school. There is one way out of the boarding school. And that one doorway looks like the spiritual eye. And the way out of the boarding school is that we have to withdraw our consciousness, our life force. We have to bring it up the spine and we have to center it here at the point where that energy of enlightenment is, at the spiritual eye. I've just been uh, reading a a book of a, a biography of Lahiri Mahashaya and it includes... 27 of his diaries that were written in Bengali and now have been translated into English. As far as I know, it's only available in India. And we were given a copy when we were over there. But Lahiri said basically the whole of the spiritual path is to bring your prana and your attention to the point between the eyebrows and to hold it there. That is the doorway out of the virtual reality device into freedom, out of the boarding school into freedom. But even that first step out is frightening, and we want to go back to the familiar. When we were in India, we met a woman who told us an experience, and I, we have to believe that it's true, Her husband is a very high government official. She's a judge. And she told us the experience of of basically having a samadhi experience. There was a great kind of everything receded inside of her and then a rush of energy up her spine. And then she felt her consciousness to be everywhere, to be universal. And she was no longer in the body. And she was in that state for some time. And then she thought, but if I... And she began to get afraid that she couldn't get back to her body. She began to think, if I can't get back to my body, who's going to help my husband? Who's going to help my son? I've got to get back. And she got back. Now, so even when we have that experience, we still come back to the familiar. But for us, we need to have that experience before we have the problem (laughs) of returning to the ego. So tomorrow, in our long meditation, we have the best opportunity of the year. First of all, this is a very holy time because at this time... In the West, there are more people having their consciousness expanded, their hearts expanded, and their minds spiritualized than at any other time of the year. And so the, the world consciousness will help us in this. But for us especially, Master created the spiritual Christmas Christmas means the birth of Christ. It isn't Jesus' Mass. It's Christ Mass. And that Christ Mass, that spiritual Christ Mass, is our best opportunity, the eight-hour meditation. That's our 
probably the best opportunity of the year to go into the state of enlightenment, to see the star, to go through this star. So the goal of our meditation tomorrow is to bring our consciousness as powerfully, our prana, and all of our techniques support this, to bring our prana and our awareness as powerfully as possible to the point between the eyebrows and to hold it there. And if we can do that completely, then a rush of energy will come up our spine, the kundalini will rise and unite at that point, and we will become self-realized, and we will go into the Christ consciousness. Now, we've been trying that for a long time, and we know that it's not easy. But what choice do we have except to continue to try to unite with that which is our own true nature? Because our hearts will never rest until we do that. We are extraordinarily blessed in this life that we know that that's the goal of life, that we have been given the blessing of Master and Swamiji and these great guides to bring us there and the support of a community of people all yearning for that same self-realization. This is an extremely blessed life and Christ Mass is an extremely blessed time in that, and especially the long meditation. Let's pray to God, Gurus, and Christ Consciousness that through our efforts and through their grace, we truly become transformed into our own true nature.